0: Hello, and welcome to the SBC Leaders Podcast. My name's Andrew McCarran, and I'm the Managing Director at SBC. With me today, I've got Sophie Wood. Uh, she's the Learning and Development Partner at LottoLand. Sophie, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks.
1: Yeah, we're, um, I'm working from home in Spain today, and uh, the, the temperature's just, just picking up a little
0: bit. So, Sophie, you're Learning and Development Partner at LottoLand. Yes. I mean, that's a different role than you'd find in most companies. What does it entail on a, on a day-to-day basis? Can you fill us in? Um,
1: the role itself is, is quite broad. So in my, my purview, I have responsibility, for example, for all learning development, um, um, the primary focus on management leadership training um, and then personal growth training. Uh, I also have, um, responsibility for all of our compliance training, so all, all of those mandatory courses that everyone loves. At the same time, I co-lead diversity and inclusion at Loughlin, um with, with um, Christina, who's uh, one of our well, is head of product um, for us. So, and and that is is, is quite a, a big uh, big piece of work. Um, I also look after. Um, well being, mental health support at Lotterland. So, I manage um, a resilience coach, um, currently um Nifa, and she supports our guys who are operational, who have those difficult contacts with these customers. Um, so, from a safety gambling perspective, you know, somebody's showing kind of signs of um, kind of self harm or, at the very worst case, um, kind of suicide and suicide ideation. Then, if our if our people have dealt with a difficult call like that, they need someone that they can talk to about that and debrief and kind of get rid of that, the kind of stress of, of, of that situation and have someone to talk to with. So that's um, the primary focus of of NIFA's role. Um, and then I manage our operational training as well. So all the kind of new people coming into Waterland, coming through our customer service and operations team, they 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 will be trained by one of my two
0: So you joined Lotto in summer 2021. Is that right? Um, I mean, was, is that a role created for you? Because I'm assuming that the whole pan- pandemic uh, situation brought um, staff resilience into, into a, a lot more focus and uh, Lotto Land leadership recognised that and brought you in.
1: Yeah, it was, it was very much... Um, an opportunity that was that was created for me. Um so I, I was working previously at MTAM and I just done as a comment for 12 months their Global Inclusion Manager. Um and and really enjoyed doing that role. And I'd gone back, that was a maternity leave ever. And so at the end of that I went back to my old learning development role. Um which was a bit disappointing for me, you know, from a personal perspective, because you always want to keep moving forward. And felt my like I was kind of returning to, to the role that I previously left. Um, so that made me keen to seek kind out of new opportunities. And I'd been speaking to Leah, kind of informally, who was just asking me and my other half, Danielle Wood, who also used to work at MK, now working for, for Lottomar and uh, the people team there. Um, She was asking for advice and direction and just asking general questions around diversity and inclusion. Um, And we started conversing around that subject and one conversation turned into two and two turned into three and then three turned into four and somewhere amongst that first conversations, one of them happened to be a kind of informal interview (laughs) and uh, and then Leah turned around and offered me me the, the position. (laughs) It's <laughs> combined, basically um, all of my previous experience. So uh, okay. you know, I'm okay. quite an experienced learning development professional. As I say, passionate about diversity and inclusion. Uh, used to be a bit of a, an activist when I was when I was back in the UK. Um, and so, from a working perspective, those are my two greatest passions.
0: So, Sophie, you come into a, a company like Lotterland. I mean, specifically on the diversity and inclusivity angle, how do you how, how do you measure your effectiveness there? You know, how how, do man, how does the management and leadership side of things work out how effective you're being um, with with what with what projects you're leading? You know, and, and how do you know what to prioritise? You know, which areas need the most work, quickest, um, and, and what, what can be uh, put put back as a bit more of a longer-term project.
1: As soon as I joined, we sent out a, a kind of very lengthy, and in-depth survey to everybody working at Lots Land, asking them what diversity inclusion meant to them, um, what um, kind of priorities they had around that that area. Um, we asked them to recount previous experiences, both in Waterland and in previous companies, both positive and negative, um, negative. And, and a few other questions aside. So we got lots of data from those, those surveys, and we then presented that data back to the company, a kind of, kind of company-wide like town hall, where we addressed um, all the things that were working well. And all the things from their perspective that were kind of not going so well. Um, so it was our kind of list of things not going so well that kind of informed our priorities. Um, the great thing about that survey, and we followed it up with listening groups as well to make sure we weren't making any assumptions. Um, but the really pleasant thing for me was 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 finding out how important um people's nationality and culture to them, um, and certainly with regards to them bringing their, their authentic selves into, into the workplace, kind of and quite often not speaking English as a first language, and people throughout their industry experience had kind of not felt included because they didn't come from a kind of UK-centered, you know, cultural background. Uh, we discovered that we've got 35 different nationalities working for us at Lutterland, which is a you know, best array. Um, so we, we're kind of making um, nationality and, and cultural heritage uh, a real kind of focal point of our DNI strategy this year. It's going to culminate in September. We're going to have um, what I'm calling a Festival of Nations, where we all get to kind of get together and celebrate our kind of cultural identities, um, everything from food, national dishes to national heroes that have inspired us to just telling stories about what it's like growing up in certain companies, just so that we can make those kind of connections with each other uh, across the company, which sometimes you just don't get a chance to do when you're kind of working in high tempo, high <laughs> business areas. Um, so, so, yeah, so to answer your question, we actually asked Lott- land what they thought about diversity inclusion and inclusion. We, we prioritized according to what people's perceived needs were. So one of the perceived needs was um, they recognized that we worked really well in our teams at Lotterland, but they felt that we actually kind of worked in, in silos quite a lot, and we failed to make those connections with the wider community. And I think Lotterland was a very young company, and I think when it started, it was small enough to people to naturally make those connections. Um, just by the sheer kind of volume of the workforce. As the company's grown and is starting to expand into a bigger corporate entity, those connections are are being lost along the way. So we're really going to try and break down those silos and those kind of interdepartmental barriers by, as I say, making connections with each other.
0: Okay, I mean, as I mentioned at the start of the interview, um, I guess it's it's a more unusual role for somebody to have within the industry, and I guess Lotto Land is leading the way a little bit on that um, by bringing you in and having you you lead uh, on that aspect. But how do you think the rest of the industry is doing in regards to inclusion? Do you have much sort of dialogue with other companies in the space uh, about
1: those issues? Some companies have really kind of like lot of land we've we really got stuck in um, to, to do something really great for our people. Um, I'm aware there's some, some great things happening in other companies, um, such as Kindred, you know, such as James' um, some pretty good stuff going on at Intain. Um But I think, I suppose, if I'm being honest, the way that I kind of keep in touch with the rest of the industry is actually through... The All in diversity, um, project, um, which is our kind of, you know, industry wide, um, kind of organization, um, to represent all things around diversity. And that, that's been a real godsend to the industry, I think. Um, and that's kind of, I think we, we did, I did the submission for intake, um, I think for, for, the, for the benchmarking index and, and when you saw the, the, the results of all the different companies, they were, it, was, it was quite kind of small fry, if I can use that term. Whereas if I look at the most recent survey results um, that were published last year, you can actually see, um, that activity in that space has really, really increased, really increased. I'm really looking forward to getting the results of this year's index, because I think, like I say, some of those, those firms that I've mentioned, particularly kind of games is Kindred. Um, I think William Hill are really up in, their game, are in that area as well.
0: So obviously you've got your, your development aspects of it and to make Land more attractive uh, as an employer. Um, obviously at the moment, recruitment is a big issue, not just in our industry, but uh, you know, across the globe. So, if you can get um, potential employees to be cognizant of the inclusivity and, in particular, the development that you uh, that you provide, I'm assuming that's a good thing. I
1: mean, I think I think I think um, I think people, if they haven't already kind of woken up to kind of having real values-driven um, uh, kind of expression of your culture. Um, then you know people's hands will be forced in, in, in the years um, around that I, I was having this conversation um, with our um, talent team just just last week and it's like when I was young and I was getting my first jobs in, in the marketplace it's very much a case of you know you were kind of completely vetted by the company that you were trying to get a job working for whereas Seems that now um, it's more a case of applicants for roles are actually betting the companies, you know, um, rather than the the other way around. Um, so it seems to be a complete kind of switch of focus. And I think two, two major things uh, are happening at the same time. So one, you've got a new generation of people coming into the workplace. Um, so you kind of, uh, Generation Z or Z, depending on how you prefer to say that letter. Um, They are very, very kind of values-driven, you know, if we're going to characterize that that generation. So everything that we talk about with regards to um, corporate social responsibility, um, you know, um, ESG, diversity, inclusion, all of those activities matter to that younger generation, and and they will really kind of pick and choose who they apply to according to whether those companies meet their their value set. It's generalizing terribly, um, but it's also younger generations have a more open mindset around things like diversity and inclusion as well, and are more accepting of people who are different to them um, because they've grown up in the internet age. And whilst the internet has, um, there's lots, <laughs> lots of negative things happening um, <laughs> around the world with regards to the internet, well, the key kind of benefits, um, especially with regards to the social media element of the, the internet, is that it's giving communities a voice. Um, and so people are kind of realizing that they're not alone on their on their journeys, um, that there are other people who have shared lived experiences, there are other people who have shared values. And so because the younger generations have grown up with that kind of exposure, then having people who are, look different, you know, come from a different lived experience doesn't hold any kind of fear and there's less ignorance um, <coughs> for, for people as well. So that's one factor. The other factor is obviously the lockdown, uh, the series of lockdowns that, that happened due, due to COVID. And that just really forced people in general to reevaluate re- their lives, um, particularly their working lives and their working lives um, in relation to their home life as well. So all of a sudden, you know, you know people suddenly realised how much money they spend on the commute, not just in monetary terms, but in time terms as well, and actually were forced into a situation where they they felt those benefits on their home life, their family life. Um, and that, again, has halted you know, people's expectations. So the pressure on, on companies is to, is to meet those, those value sets and to offer that, that kind of flexibility of work if they're going to attract and retain the best talent because it's, it's, it's very much a buyer's market when it comes to recruitment at the moment
0: i mean one of the things that happens in the u k at the moment is is around the ethics of gambling yeah. You know? and and some sometimes um recruitment can can uh can hit a snag there when people are talking about the gambling industry it is is um it's something that might not necessarily want to be involved with i mean is 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 that is that um is that something that you'll find that it is uh holding the industry back the the, percep- the perception of, of it from an ethical perspective.
1: I think that does have an impact on on people's decisions in terms of do I want to work in an industry that can potentially harm people in society. Because and they are being fed a message, certainly by mainstream media, that, um, that that is kind of characteristic of you know, all Online gambling. Um, so, I think when you when you then kind of view the industry through through that lens, kind of having um, an employer um, brand and value set that that's kind of overtly looking after their their staff, having um, a genuine commitment to protecting um, players who find themselves in, in the pro- kind of problem gambling space, um, then, you know, the, the pressure's there for, for all of us within, within the industry to, to deliver on that. Um, and it's not and it's not about you can't get away with being performative, um, which perhaps, in, you know, companies have done in the past, um, you know, throw a few kind of nice infographics and graphs and, and out there. Um, you know, what people are interested in are our stories um, at the end of the day. And if we want to give a good representation of ourselves um, to the wider community, to prospective candidates and tackle the kind of narrative that's in the UK media, we need to be able to tell authentic kind of good news stories of how we're actually making a real difference to, say, um, protecting people from a safety gambling um, perspective. So the pressure's on to, to really walk the walk.
0: Yeah, um, and like you say, bring a different perspective that you wouldn't normally get in, in business at the moment, but it can be so valuable.
1: Yeah. If you, I mean, if you take alcohol, for example, you know, that if somebody has an addiction to alcohol, it can be terribly damaging to them and, and people around them, um, and likewise, if people have an addiction to, to gambling, it can have similar effects. Yet you don't see a kind of mass media coverage kind of demonising, you know, the alcohol beverage industry in the same way that the gambling industry is copying for it at, at the moment. So there's a real lack of realistic perspective. And so we've got a real job to kind of change the balance of of that narrative. Um, You know, if people realize, you know, people who work in the gaming industry, um, you know, some of the best people I've ever come across in my life, really generally good, you know, good characters, Um, who really want to kind of do well, succeed themselves and their families and, and their communities.
0: So, I um, mean, we were talking about the attractiveness of the gambling in- industry um, from an employee perspective, but I mean, how, how did you join the gambling industry itself? How, how, how did you uh, uh, end up here?
1: My, my personal journey was quite bizarre. So I was working in the Uni- United Kingdom in the central country in the Midlands for West Mercia Police. Um, and I was, a, I was training police officers and police staff. Um, everything you know, to do with the Police National Computer, which is the central repository for kind of you know, criminal justice data. Um, but all, all through this time, BMI half had been kind of going on holiday, um, to lovely locations. And we always invariably ended up popping around in the swimming pool going, How can we make this ally? How can we make this ally? Uh, <laughs> and we could never unlock the that key and and find the answer to that question until until we discovered the existence of of Gibraltar. So we moved over here and the first job that I got in in Gibraltar was uh, with Gala Bingo. So that was was literally entry-level role. Um, I had applied for more senior roles, I have to say, but um, at that time, having transferable skills wasn't widely recognized. in the industry, to be fair. Um, So I, I kind of went back to, to the front line and I took customer service calls around everything to do with online bingo and actual real bingo being played in the bingo halls um, across the UK. So I literally, I always remember I, I, was, I was delivering a communications data course for detectives on a Friday afternoon. Um, then literally kind of flew um, over to, over to Gibraltar that weekend. And, and the, the Monday after that course, I was learning how to play bingo.
0: It's, it's kind of intense if you've not played it before, isn't it? Bingo, it can catch you out.
1: Yeah, it's really good. And so I got that kind of really good grounding, um, not just on the bingo side of things, that led into kind of casino, led into sports book, kind of poker, all the, all the main products, you know, suddenly became part of my, my toolkit. Um, and of course, as soon as that happened, it then kind of validates all your previous experience. So I was then able to apply for good jobs in learning development. I worked at 888 for two years as a, as a, as a fraud and risk analyst for them. Um, so I've been able to bring all of my kind of great experience I got through working in UK policing to the benefit of, you know, the customers of, um, gambling companies who, are, who have a base in control. So, and then as I say, I've already mentioned, then once a common opportunity to get involved in diversity inclusion again, and, and that led to me now working at Rotterland,
0: so. Now, just one more thing before we go, um, we've been talking about different technologies and how they, you know, impact how the industry is going to run. And there's a lot of talk about sort of the metaverse, you know, and VR and that kind of things. Um. Well, we tend to talk it from the consumer point of view. And I was wondering uh, if you saw a way of um, sort of the metaverse technologies being used internally, um, you know, maybe even by HR uh, to speak to the employees.
1: I think there are definitely opportunities to, to be had, um, particularly actually more so from a you know my areas, diversity, inclusion, learning, development. Um, so like the potential, for example, for people to kind of have learning experiences in, in the metaverse, which can actually kind of put them literally, you know, in the place of somebody to experience what being discriminated is like, for example.
0: Yeah, suddenly role play doesn't feel so stupid if you're immersed in it. Absolutely, yeah.
1: So I, th- I think, um, you know, areas such as learning development, Kind of areas such as as kind of onboarding and virtualization as well, in, in terms of um, you know perhaps being being able to, to to meet your virtual colleagues you know before you actually kind of um, you know start in the in the real world you know um, then I think that's another really great area where where people can make those connections with the people they're going to be working with before they start. Every, everything that's kind of you know internet driven is I've had to make a journey to get there from my kind of default lived, lived experience. Whereas people kind of born, you know, late nineties and I mean, in the two thousands, they've never experienced life without the internet, so they they haven't had to make that journey. They just think, oh, this is normal.
0: Yeah, well, I have the same conversation with with my media team. When I went through my journalism degree, there was email and that was about it, a very basic level of internet. So, yeah, I can feel that. It's amazing how quickly things can change, isn't it? But, um, uh, Sophie, thank you very much for your time today. I've I've really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully our listeners have too. Um, Can't wait to uh, catch up with you at the next SPC event. Uh, But up until then, um, this is Andrew McCarron for SPC Leaders.